I'd like you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, again for the 17th time. I trust that you're reading at least some parts of the Sermon on the Mount every week, that nothing is taking you by surprise and you're acclimating yourself to these words and you're starting to think about these words. You know, if you read things a lot, you'll think about things a lot. And nothing better to think about than the Word of God. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is dealing with a very difficult subject. He only uses two verses. We'll use at least two nights, maybe three, because of the nature of the subject. Verse 31, it has been said... That was obviously something written in the Old Testament that they had been taught by scholars in those days. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now, that will get everything quiet for a while when you start talking about this subject. As I said last time, the subject of adultery is a very serious subject. Last week, we looked at the the consequences and and what the Bible says, the seriousness of adultery. That adultery can be an act that is committed... You don't have to be married because Jesus said if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. But it usually has to do with marital infidelity between a married person, at least one married person, or between two married people. And it is, uh, it is something to do with sexual uncleanness. It can also have to do with the state that you're in. As he said in Matthew five thirty-two, the end of the verse, he says... If you marry somebody that is, a, that is put away from marriage, you committeth adultery. So you can be in a state, a condition of adultery if that has happened. And the consequences of, of adultery, like in Galatians 5, we looked at Galatians 5 and verse 19. And, and one of the 19th verse said, along with some other things, and in verse 20, that They that do these things, these are sins of the flesh. They that do these things will not inherit the kingdom. And if one thing stands out in the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus defining the boundaries of his kingdom. It's no longer some law that can be interpreted by whatever you want to. It's no longer offering a sacrifice because it's required and it's no big deal like in Malachi. You know, they were offering sick animals. I mean, but they were keeping the law. They didn't have to have a heart for it. They just had to follow the rules. And, of course, no man could. And the law held all men to be sinners because if you break one part of the law, you're a lawbreaker. Just like if you you speed in America, if you're caught going over the speed limit and you're stopped and you're given a ticket, you have broken the law. You're a lawbreaker. And so in, in the Old Testament... Of all these regulations that they had for conduct and behavior, if you break the law, one of them, you're a lawbreaker. Because the blood of bulls and goats, we've learned in Hebrews, and they finally learned that none of these animals are sacrificing because of their sins, is removing their sins. That God holds all men to be 
sinful by nature, that you naturally sin. And Paul wrote that in Ephesians 2. We were by nature the children of disobedience. We were under that weight and that burden. And there's no way you could get out of it. I mean, the highlight of the law was the Ten Commandments. And, I mean, that is the most pure and perfect code about who God is and how we should feel about God and how we should deal with God and see Him as well as how we should deal with our fellow man. First four of the Ten Commandments is us and God. The last six is us and each other. A close examination with an honest heart reveals that you've broken them all. Every one of these commandments, we have broken them all. But if you've only broken one... You're a lawbreaker. You run the sentence of death. That's what the Old Testament gave. No man could, by keeping the law, make himself right with God. Because if he failed in one point, there was no way he could undo his sin. I mean, he could offer his sacrifices to show that he recognized his sin and confessed his sin. But that could not remove his sin. That's specifically why Jesus came to this earth. And to do what he did so that you and I could be free from the penalty of sin. All of us were born under the law. If you're not under grace, you're under law in this hour. And the law holds all men to be guilty. And we, by the grace of God and by the goodness of God, have escaped the penalty of the law. Jesus came in in, in this very book, in this chapter. He said, think not that I came to do away with the law or to destroy the law. I didn't. I came to fulfill it, to meet its just demands, to satisfy an offended God with a perfect sacrifice so that by that sacrifice, God will be able to forgive others who believe in him. And I praise God for that. I do. I praise God. Like the song we talked about Sunday, you know, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more because Jesus went to the cross with my sins in my place, a divine substitute for the guilty sinner. He was accepted and we know that Jesus was an accepted sacrifice because God raised him from the dead. Probably the resurrection of Christ is the most important event that has ever happened in history. And many people have tried to live a good life, but only one did it to the point that he was everything about him was right because God raised him from the dead. God wouldn't raise a man that had committed one sin from the dead. But Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, and now a way has been made for us to be in relationship with God on the basis of grace. I'm just repeating this because we ought to know these are fundamental things. If it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know what sin was. If the whole law was removed, there's a whole lot of things that we wouldn't know what to do. And yet we read in the New Testament that out of the the new is what the old is brought out to us that was hidden. Like Jesus said here, you have, you have heard in old, old times that thou shall not do this or thou shall not do that. Thou shall not commit adultery. But he said, but I say to you, this is a higher meaning of what God intended for man who's going to be in his kingdom, this is how he meant for us to live. If you look upon a woman or a man, put it both ways, to lust after them, to desire them in that way, 
you have in your heart committed adultery, and you're guilty. Now, there's, you can't argue with the Lord about that. Tonight, he says, you know, you have heard, you've heard it said that if you put away your wife, uh, that you should give her a writing of divorcement. She was my wife, and I no longer find, she no longer finds favor, and therefore I release her from, and she give her this paper so she can show that and be married to somebody else. That's Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. We'll get to in a minute. But in this, in this divorce thing, and it was so common because for the most trivial of reasons, people were divorcing their wives and getting rid of their wives. You know, she was aging, maybe not as trim as she used to be, or she burnt the toast, as we've often heard. And there was a school of thought amongst the Jews. There were two schools of thought, one of from, uh, Rabbi Hillel and one of some Rabbi Shema. And one of them taught that you could divorce your wife for any reason that did not please you. Anything she did that you weren't pleased with, you could put her away. And you could define that as some uncleanness in her. Something that was just, you know, ugh. you get rid of her. The other school of thought said the only, the only justified reason for divorcing your wife was adultery. But Jesus didn't use that word when he told us that except it be, he said he used the word fornication. And adultery is a little different, but it does involve fornication, but it doesn't mean that. Now, back to where we were. The last time I said about all of these different serious things that go with adultery, tonight I want to begin with three considerations about marriage, divorce, and remarriage especially divorce, because divorce is so rampant. We all know somebody. I grew up in a divorced home. My parents were divorced when I was young. And all I remember about that was that I didn't have my dad. My brother stayed with my dad and his family because my mom, and I'm just not a sad sob story, but mother, my mother made $20 a week at the dry cleaning store. She was a seamstress there, and, and she couldn't afford to keep my brother and I, so she kept just me. And so I missed my dad during those years and developed some bad attitudes and, and probably affected me in other ways because there are spirits involved here. But divorce is, we all know somebody that's divorced, or maybe one of our children are, or our aunt or an uncle or a brother or a sister or some close friend, and we know how difficult it is to weave through the mess of divorce and an ugly marriage, a marriage that was good. We all were so glad when they got married, but things didn't turn out well, and it got ugly. And it got ugly to the place where there was no longer a way, no solution. Insolvable people say, I don't care what promises God had made, man has brought himself to the place where he said, in my estimation, nothing can be done to fix this marriage that was once right. It can't be fixed. And that's his conclusion. He disregards God's word when he, when he does that. Because if you're a believer, you must know that for every problem that we face in this life, God has given us a solution. That life is full of trials and hardships and difficulties. We bring many of those things on ourselves by the choices we make. Many times we disregard the Word of God and do things as other people do things, and we get ourselves in trouble and it seems like God doesn't respond to us. 
in Malachi chapter 2. They were covering the altar. God said, you cover the altar with your tears and you're just crying out to me and, and I'm not responding to you. And the reason God said, I'm not responding to you, I mean, it's just, you can cry all you want to. You can labor, spend hours in prayer. And the reason nothing is happening is because of the way you've treated the wife of your youth. You've dealt treacherously with her. We'll get to that in a moment, too. God holds the marriage covenant to a high degree. And when you begin to think of terminating it and cutting it apart, you're asking for trouble. You may not feel trouble in the ways that you think you'd have trouble. You may not lose your job or some disease comes on your body or suddenly everything goes wrong. But you're, you're doing something that God hates. And people do it. Half of all Christian marriages, half, 50%. I think it's a little higher than that. 50% of all marriages wind up, Christian marriages, in divorce. Now, I would say something is dreadfully wrong in those situations. Let's look at these three things tonight about, especially about divorce. Number one, in the eyes of God, marriage is permanent. God intended for marriage to be permanent. Not intended for it to be broken, started over with anybody else or doing anything else. You see, marriage is a picture of the union of Christ with the church. Remember, you hear if you've been in a wedding, you've probably heard a preacher at some point say that that marriage is a it typifies the union of Christ with the church. We are his bride, remember that? And he is the groom. We were not worthy of his choice, because there was nothing in us that was deserving, but it's all about grace here. And he, by his own will and choice, reached out and brought you to him and made you his own. The deeper picture is, as Paul writes, we are espoused. We're right now, it's the engagement period now. The marriage has not taken place. It will happen when he comes. And we're told to pray that you'll be counted worthy and look forward, look for the Lord to come because he is coming back. Now, his bride... We'll look for him because it, didn't he say in Ephesians 4, unto those who look for him shall he return? Let me ask you all a question. Who shall he return for? Most Christian folks without even hesitation say, well, he's coming back for the church. And that's not true. He's coming back for those in the church who are looking for him, but not everybody in the church is looking for him. A lot of people join church because it's the socially right thing to do in a community. Nice people are Christian, or they go to church, they call themselves Christians. Nations are called Christian. America's called a Christian nation. But in this thing about being permanent, turn to Matthew 19 and verse 3. Matthew 19. Beginning in verse 3, Jesus in this chapter also talks about putting away your wives and remarrying, marrying somebody else. Verse 3, it says, I'll start with verse 3. The Pharisees came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, 
Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? See, again, there were two schools of thought. They wanted to make him make a decision on which one is right and which one is wrong so they could begin to drill him about whatever choice he made. Now, this is God in a body who gave us this word, who gave us the air we breathe, everything that is here. He gave it to us. The Bible said the world was created by the one who's speaking here. And this is what he said. Verse 4, have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? Where did he say that? Genesis 1, verse 27. He that made them in the beginning made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, singular, not plural, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They're a physical two, but they are to become as one as they merge together, flow together, begin to bond together, develop together spiritually. They become in harmony and unison with each other, spirit and soul and body. They become one together. This is God's original intention in marriage. In fact, in Genesis 1, it's the marriage that took place was God's idea for man. If we didn't have the Old Testament, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have marriage. We wouldn't. We would live like animals. We just breed and kids come and somebody raise them or something. But in order to establish citizens for his kingdom, God wants two citizens in his kingdom as they come together and they become one and they have children, that these would be a godly seed. <clears throat> But he said, have you all heard? You're asking me, is it all right to divorce your wife for any cause? He said, you know, in the beginning, God made male and female, a man and a woman. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Wherefore, verse 6, they are no more two but one. Then he adds these words, taking them all the way back to the beginning and in light of everything in between the beginning and this time in history, whatever they had heard, whatever scholarly definition or explanation that they had ever heard, Jesus says this. Therefore, he said, what therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, what does that mean? Does he mean that when marriage takes place, it was the idea of God having created a man and a woman to have them be joined together, to live together as one? Don't let any man, whether it's a, a courtroom or a friend, let no man divide that. Listen to me. God hates anything that separates what he does. It's just like in Proverbs 6, verse uh, what 19. One of the things that God hates is he that soweth discord. One of the things that God hates in the church is they who divide friendships, who wreck havoc in the church. The Bible says mark them. Put them out. And now, we don't do much of that today because we're too socially proper to do that. But God says, you know, I want it, I want it kept pure. I want it right. And we don't allow that because he didn't. Just like if your kid wouldn't mind in the Old Testament, he said, take him to the gate, 
Tell him why he won't and let's stone him right there at the gate and let him die right there in front of your eyes. And by doing this, put away all evil from the country. The word will spread around. You kid better mind. If you love him, you better make him mind. If you love him, you won't spare the rod. Because if you do, and he becomes a little rotten, well, a rotten kid, then the end of, of him will be to be stoned at the gate. Because it'll teach other people to follow his example. So if you love your child, you make them mind while they're young and they're early. You don't try to hurt them and harm them. You realize that they cannot be citizens of the kingdom without being disciplined to the point that they are willing to submit to a higher authority. They learn to submit to mom and dad. Mom and dad points them to Christ. They watch how mom and dad order their lives in honor of God and to submit to him, refrain from things and do certain things. Maybe nobody else does, but they see mom and dad do it. Mom and dad says, because we're committed to serving Christ on his terms. No other way is proper. No other way is right. And the reason we make you mine is because we want you to live like this too. We want you to see the benefit and the value and the need for it if you want to go to heaven. And so he says, verse 7 of this chapter, he goes on to say, they, they said unto him, then why did Moses then give a command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? That's Deuteronomy 24 again. Well, then if that's true, what God has joined together, let the man put asunder, then why, why does it say in Deuteronomy 24, the writings of Moses, that you can give your wife a writing of divorcement and send her away? Then why does it say that? Listen to what he said. Because this to me, at, at this time in my life, from all the many hours of study of this one subject, this to me is the answer. Verse 8. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives or allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, what? Now, here's something that we Christians have to understand. When we're dealing with difficult subjects like divorce and remarriage, you cannot make something say one way in one verse that contradicts something said in another verse. You cannot play one part of the Bible against another part. If God said from the beginning, you have to ask yourself the beginning of what? Well, when he made these statements. From the beginning, God made no allowance for divorce, let alone Remarriage. Because marriage is a covenant. A covenant signified when Jesus Christ committed himself to us as his bride to make us the way he wants us to be. Long suffering towards us. Extremely tolerant, if not of you, of me. Many chances he could have put me out and written me off. But because he committed himself to my well-being and for me to be a citizen of his kingdom, he called me out of darkness, brought me to himself, and his work in me is to finish that which he started, which was to make me what I should be. Because he that began a good work, Philippians 1, 6, he that began a good work in you will what? He'll complete it. If he started, he'll do it. God is at work in Philippians 2, 13. God is at work in you, he's not at work in everybody. He's at work in somebody, isn't he? Somebody in the world 
some bodies, plural, is keenly aware of the fact that God seems to be searching you out and narrows your life down from what everybody else does that you can't do what other people do. You just can't get by. Your, your heart won't allow you. Can't, you can't sleep or nothing if you don't. That God is on your case from day to night when you disobey Him. Working repentance in you to turn you around. And yet, as He does this and you begin to grow more and more, you don't want to do it anymore. You don't want to go that way anymore. You learn that God has all the answers. God has all the solutions and He is also... A consuming fire if you want to cross him. He has the final say in everybody in this room. When our day is up, he has the final say. You'll face him. It's over. I mean, you can't fix anything. You can't make anything right. He gives us time now to make all of these things right. But I want to repeat the end of verse 8. From the beginning, this separating yourself and terminating your wife, giving her right and divorce, sin away, or the other way, wives and husbands. The Bible teaches that too. It was not so. Let me ask you a question. Then how did it become so? How then did such a controversial, sensitive, emotional subject come to be? It's not for some of us. I mean, I have a good marriage. My wife's been very tolerant of me, so it worked. I mean, I have no desire to, you know, that's not even in my program. That's just like, well, it's not there. But I know for a lot of young people, it, uh, going through struggles and changes, hanging around with the wrong kind of people, listening to the wrong kind of stories, getting new ideas, new inventions of the mind, and you begin to look with disdain, and they begin to wrestle. Or they watch a lot of trash on TV, and they think that's what you're supposed to do in the bedroom. And she's got three kids, and one of them's crying, and, and it's not going to be. And he gets all flustered and blah, 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 because you see, his heart's not right with the Lord. It really isn't. And if your heart's not right with the Lord, I'm telling you now, none of this will work. I'll get to that in just a moment, too. But number one is that marriage is from Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Paul writes, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called what? So if she's married to somebody with a living husband somewhere else, he still called her husband here. That man she divorced, he still called her husband. I didn't write this. She shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So the one condition whereby you may legally marry again is if your original mate is dead. And you can marry again, only marry somebody in the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians. Go to the next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 39 at the end of that chapter. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. 
But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, but only in the Lord. He should be a Christian, only as, as a Christian. But notice, your Bible says it. You're bound to your husband. Whenever you make this decision, you young people, let me tell you all something. Don't marry. All you young folks, tell yourself, I'm not going to marry. Then you're free. But if you're going to marry, make sure you marry somebody you're willing to stay with the rest of your life because you're connected. You're connected. Well, what if he turns out, well, then you better not only pray about it now, find out as much as you can about it now, ask a lot of questions she doesn't like you to ask her, make her mad at least once. Make him mad at least once. This is what you're going to live with the rest of your life. If he goes to stomping and spitting and says a bad word, do like this. Bye-bye. I'm going to catch a hat. I'm out of here. You, you know, I can't tell you how important it is to realize that when you marry, you're marrying for the rest of your life. As it often says in a marriage ceremony, till death do us part. No matter what comes our way, we're going to face it as one together. And if you don't go into it like that, you're marrying without being educated, without being informed. And chances are you'll be one of those 50 percenters that gets out of your marriage because it's not going the way you thought it would. I would suggest you find out as much as you can about the biblical side of marriage, what God wants from a woman, the kind of woman that God wants, like a keeper at home, how to please your husband. I like that one. The Bible teaches that. To fit in with His plan. To submit to Him. To love your wife, brother, like Christ loved the church. Well, that's pretty high level love. Yeah, and that's what He requires you to do. Well, what if she doesn't act good? What does He do when you don't act good? You're still here, aren't you? Well, He's loving you then. Amen. Amen. So you see, all of, all of these things teach us. These, these three verses, Matthew 19, or these three places. Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 7. All of them say, essentially, Matthew would say this, that marriage is permanent. From the beginning, there was no termination of marriage. There was no provision by God to terminate. The reason it's come to that, as I asked the question a while ago, is because of man's wisdom, man's interpretation. All these foolish ideas have been put into people's minds that they can go back and appeal to Deuteronomy 24 and justify divorce. Deuteronomy 24 had nothing to do with adultery. It just says if he finds some uncleanness in there, he's not pleased with it, put her away. It didn't say anything about anything else. And, and people have made out of that verse a lot of justified, justifiable reasons why we don't have to live with the one we made a covenant with. But marriage is permanent. Second thing I want you to see tonight is that God hates divorce. Now, hates means loathes, despises, holds it in high contempt. Malachi, you're not that far. Go back one book to the left if you're in Matthew. Malachi chapter 2, dealing here in this book with people whose Hearts have gotten away from devotion and loyalty and purity. They've just become, as so much is today, they've just become religious. They practice religion. 
And that's about what it is. It's become a formality, a manner of living that gives a person reason to justify his goodness. He goes to church. He sings songs. He puts money in a container somewhere. He helps the poor and the needy and, and involves himself in spiritual things. Therefore, though he knows nothing about the Word and can't stand to sit still and be taught, he does a lot of things. Therefore, he is all right. He's all right. And so these people were doing things that were legal. They were following the dictates of the law with a heart that was nowhere. Y'all remember the time in Isaiah chapter, uh, you don't have to turn to this, Isaiah 29, I think it's 29 or 30. God says, uh, you honor me with your lips. Remember that? I love you, Lord, and I lift my hand. We do it all the time. I'm not saying you're like that. I'm just saying people can do this and they can shut their eyes and shake. You know, good Pentecostal shake. You need that every now and then. And God says, you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart. Your heart is far from me. In other words, you're coming to me looking right, acting right, singing the right songs, raising your hands or clapping your hands. I mean, you're doing all the things that the routine has taught. But he said, in your heart, you're not doing it because you love the Lord. It's like a whole lot of people in the faith camp trying to use their faith to get this and exercising faith and confessing faith to get that. Not because they love God and want to please Him, but because they want some results. The only faith that works is faith that works by love in Galatians. God knows our hearts. He knows if we're playing games, trying to manipulate God. We can't do that. A man reaps what he sows, doesn't he? We cannot escape the fact that God knows all the little places in our heart, all the little hidden things, as well as all the reasons that we do things. God knows. One of the things the Sermon on the Mount does is to begin to expose us. Some things like divorce, we just assume it's all right because you don't, you don't like it. And the person that's getting out of their marriage, you like them, they're your buddy for life, and he was no good or she was no good, and so you tend to take, take sides. You don't even know what the Bible says. You're not even being fair. Your judgment's flawed. If we're not taught this, if we don't learn this kind of life, well, we won't do well in this life. But in Malachi 2, verse 14, again, I just defined verse 13 while ago. They're covering the altar with their tears and weeping and crying, and yet he regards not their offering anymore or receives goodwill at their hands, and yet they say, well, why? Here's God's answer as to why things don't go well with a lot of people. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of thy youth. What does that mean? It's referring to your first wife. Usually you marry young. Most of us do. You marry young and that's the wife of your youth. So he is saying, Between thee and the wife of, of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. She has every 
right to whatever goes, all the good in your life, everything that comes to you in, in your family, she has a right to all of it. She's your companion by what? Read it again. By what's, what's the last word in verse 14? Covenant. See, there is a contempt today, a disregard of the marriage covenant. A covenant that is entered into by a solemn vow. If you've been to most weddings, you've heard people take vows before God and these witnesses, we often say, which means I'm doing this because God taught us that marriage should be entered into by a covenant. While you can use different words to, to signify your intentions, just one man and one woman by their mutual consent, both in agreement with what they're about to do because they both want to live with each other. They both want to love each other the rest of their life. And so they agree together, let's do this. Let's enter into this covenant. Let's exclude from, from this one kind of relationship any other man, any other woman for the rest of our life. I am singling you out. You're singling me out. There will be nobody else. Just you and just me. And the covenant is... Before God, I give you my word. Or I give the girl, I give the woman, I give you my word. There will never be another woman in my life. And she says, likewise, I give you my word. There will never be another man in my life. I will love you all the days of my life. And whether thou goest, I will follow. Where you lead me, I will follow. What you feed me, I'll swallow. Where we wind up there, we'll wallow if we have to. <laughs> but I'm with you all the way to the very end. The devil knows that to wreck a family and to create real disorder and sometimes forever hatred, he can just come in and, and begin to divide just somebody comes along, some friend, and begins to whisper. And he messes up, or she has a problem with something in her life, and he's, so he justifies an affair, or she justifies an affair, and they, and they just mess up everything. And they just decide that, look, this is irreconcilable. I think that's the court word today. This marriage, this union is irreconcilable. So in spite of what God said and what we did because God said it, I'm taking it all back. I'm recanting. I am leaving you. I am putting you out. We're not going to be married anymore. And you divorce. Now, divorce is the termination, the severing of a covenant between a man and and a woman. A marriage between a man and a man was never right in the first place. <sighs> so, this is what divorce does. And the Bible says God hates it. Just like in the church, anything that would divide his church, God hates it. That person who is a busybody and causes uh, two friends to get into it or begins to use slander and stuff and causes ill will amongst each other, you can be sure that God hates that too because his body... His church is precious to him. And a lot of people come in who are not part of his bride. They look like it. They're called tares in the Bible. They, they come in and they function in that body, but they have no commitment 
to Jesus. And so they terminate things and they do things, they say things, they reorganize the church instead of being a an organism that God gives a unified group of people coming together, functioning as God leads. They begin to incorporate certain kinds of government in there and begin to organize the church and we're going to have this and we're going to vote and we're going to do these things. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't matter. We like it this way. This is the wisdom of man. We talked about that the other day. The wisdom of man has corrupted so much of what God has said that very few people seem to really have a heart to want to know what does it mean? What has God said? What does he hold us to? What's this word treacherously mean? This word treacherously, it's used in verse 10, verse 14, verse 15. It's used in verse 16. Treacherously. I looked it up. The word treacherously means to be a traitor. To be unfaithful towards. Now, in that, in light of that kind of definition, then what God is saying is, when he uses the word treacherously in the context of, of marriage and problems in that marriage because of the way a man treats his wife. He says, the way you're treating your wife, who is your companion? Now, whether you want to admit it or not, in verse 14, she is your companion and wife of a covenant. You don't break them. And you're dealing treacherously with her. Verse 15, and did he not make one? Yet he had the residue of the Spirit. He could have made more. But he made one. And why did he make one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to yourself and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Don't do that. Then in verse 16, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, that he hateth putting away. Putting away is our word for divorce. God hates divorce. I've said to most of you in here that I performed your wedding, I think one of the first questions I asked you was, is divorce an option if things go wrong in this marriage? And all of you on a little giddy look on your face, said, you know, because fact is, if it is an option, I don't want to perform the wedding. There's a lot of people that will, but let me graciously bow out and say, I'm not fit to marry you all. You all deserve something much better. Because if you think one day if it doesn't work, hey, we can just get somebody else. I heard the other day of a guy that is on his fifth or sixth marriage. He told his daughter when she got married, and after about maybe a year her marriage was failing, and he, his father's advice to daughter, honey, just divorce him, repent, and get you another one. Now, I tell you what, God hates that. Now, you can do that in America. You can do that in any country, most any country in the world. But you're terminating something eternal here because the Bible said people who do that will not inherit the kingdom. Well, can't they repent? They certainly can. And there's a way you can repent that very few will. But yes, they can. Well, doesn't God forgive? Of course God forgives. <laughs> But that's kind of like me saying, I just robbed a bank and I got $100,000 under my hand. And I get home and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I repent for stealing all this money. But I want to thank you for it. I'm going to spend it. <laughs> well, you can repent all you want to, but adultery is a condition. It's a state you're in. You don't just say, I'm sorry that I'm in this state. You've got to get out of it. 
And that's the hard part. And people look at me like, you are a dog to say that. I didn't write any of this. Not a single word in, in the Bible has my name on it. But I do believe that when God says something, He says it to all of us. And what He says, He means. To be a traitor, you, can, you think about it. Here's a girl who leaves the only home she's ever known. Parents who love her as much as two people can love a daughter. And she leaves the comfort and the security of that and is joined to a young man who's never been in a home of his own. This is all starting from scratch. There's got to be in her life a commitment to love this guy no matter what. Well, now, what if he, uh, what if he sours on you, sister, and he, uh, he wants to get out of the marriage and leave? And he just leaves you, and he goes and marries again. He doesn't care what the Bible says. What are you going to do now? Are you going to sit there and be single the rest of your life and suffer for his mistake? That's man's wisdom. And we didn't want to get to this yet, but the fact of the matter is, when I made a covenant to this man, if he leaves me, I'm still under a covenant. If he leaves me, I'm still staying the way I said I would stay. If he's not here, then I'm alone. I'm free. But uh, when God turns him around, I'll be here for him when he comes back to be restored to this marriage. Because you see, that's the third point, is reconciliation. God grants reconciliation. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, if you go back to that, 1 Corinthians 7 uh, is not the easiest chapter in the New Testament to explain. Again, because so many people have gotten so many different ideas about it, and they made some things say two or three different things, but you cannot, with whatever interpretation you get in math, in 1 Corinthians 7, it cannot disagree with verse 39. Are you with me? Well, in this case, she's free to marry. What does it say? How does he end the chapter? Again, in verse 39, he said, she is bound as long as he lives. And if while he lives, she's married to somebody else, she shall be called an adulterer. Now, that's what the Bible says. Nobody's argument tonight is with me. It is with the Word of God. That's what it says. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, concerning reconciliation, and unto the married I command, yet, what's it say? Not I, but who? All right, this is the Lord's command right here. Let not the wife depart from her husband. That can happen too. He might have been a real difficult man. Or the wife depart from her husband, and also the wife, the husband from his wife. But, and if he depart, let her find a better one. Does your Bible say that? If it does, close it. Exit out. Your Bible says this. If you're reading the King James Version, it said, But and if she depart, verse 11, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. I don't care whatever else he does. He can marry five more times. He is still called her Husband. Again, he may have one wife working on a second or a third one, and you're waiting because you're believing. You're a Christian. 
You're faithful to the covenant that you made to the man. And you're not going to break the covenant because he did or feel like you're out of it because he's out of it. You're in because you gave your word to God. And if that man be married to ten other women, ten of them, what a man. He still called your husband. What am I going to do? It's not fair. It's Bible ain't about fair. It's about faithful. There's a solution, and all of this could have been avoided. But we don't turn to God in times of trouble. We turn to our friends, or we turn to somebody else, or we take for granted it'll just work out. It seems to work out with everybody else. It doesn't always work out, but you better find out what promises are available to you in your life to deal with problems. If, if you had no other promise in Mark eleven twenty four, you're ahead of the game. What things soever you desire. Well, I desire a good, strong marriage. Then when you pray, believe you have that. Well, I can't just believe I have it. Well, now, wait a minute. What did Jesus say? What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you have received them. What you prayed for. And you shall have it. Do you know a handful of people that believe that? Most people just can't believe that. Therein lies the problem. If you can't believe that, if you can't appropriate for yourself God's provision or promises for your needs, my God shall supply most of your needs. If you can't appropriate those promises, what do you do? Jesus said, but I say to you, you have heard, and you turn to somebody who tells you what you can do, that you don't have to do what God says. You turn to man's wisdom. Churches have departments where you can go if you're in a bad, your marriage is terminated, you're divorced, and you can get into this group, and they tell you how to get a fresh new start. Churches, big churches. Without regard for the covenant of marriage. Without regard. Well, they have contempt for it, I think. They just have contempt for the marriage covenant. This is called the sins of the flesh. Because if I'm not being served, if I'm not being pleased with the performance of my husband or the performance of my wife, if she's not, if he's not making me all the stuff I see in here, if I'm not benefiting, if I'm not getting all that too, I'm going to look around. Happens all the time. It happens all the time. And there's so many people that are divorced, you find now that people in bad marriages start gravitating to people that have come out of marriages to see why they came out of marriages, and they start using those as their excuses. Let me tell you something. Bad company is bad. And in verse 11, But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or... Be reconciled to her husband and let the husband not put away his wife. What does that say? What, what does that mean? Does it mean be reconciled? Then let me ask you a question. Why aren't people that are struggling in marriages or getting past the struggle point into the hate stage, into the mean stage? Why do you suppose in those kind of situations they don't do something about it? Why do you reckon they, they just let things go until there's not much that they, that they can do about it? I can tell you one good reason why. One major reason that would fix every one of them. Every one of them. Most all of them. 
It's a thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness. He had an affair. She felt cheated, and she was. She felt like she has been let down greatly, and she has been. She had an affair. He feels the same way. She wonders when they're in bed together if he's thinking about another woman or she's thinking about another man. Or I wonder if he thinks I'm... And, and there's this the flood of demonic thoughts that come into that situation. Folks, when you open the door to the devil in these kind of situations, you're opening a big door. And he's been watching pornography and so he's got these immoral, unclean spirits. And he wants to do a lot of unclean things. And she has a conviction about that. And she won't do it. And he begins to rant and rave about her being cold. Or she's no fun. What's wrong with her? And she realizes her convictions are costing her his affections. But his affections are, are not normal. They're perverted. Y'all can think about it. And consequently... Consequently, they begin to drift away, begin to argue and fight. If she's a Christian, she'll have to forgive him. If he's a Christian, he'll have to forgive her. If you do not forgive, you cannot be reconciled. And I don't know how badly divorced people have been hurt. I know it's bad. I've been around, lived long enough, talked to enough people to know that a bad marriage is a bad thing. I told you the story about a man who was getting ready to commit suicide. He was cheating on his wife. His guilt was so great and so so much he didn't know how to get it right anymore. He felt like he was a major loser. He'd just done everything wrong that he could do. And he cocked his little coat pistol and put it to his head. I hoped everybody would forgive him. And the phone rang. How many of you believe in God being at the right place at the right time? Well, he answered the phone. And it was somebody that invited him to go to a revival meeting that night, which he went and got saved. Now, I believe God can do marvelous things. At that meeting, he felt such forgiveness from the Lord that he came home and with the same spirit of forgiveness asked his wife to forgive him. She was willing to anyway. She was hurt by what he did. She knew what he was doing. She felt betrayed and put aside and dealt treacherously with. But she was different in that she was willing, no matter how bad it was and how douche she felt, she was willing to forgive him. And that's what makes the difference, forgiveness. I could give you a lot of examples. I really don't want to. I don't like this subject that much, but I know of cases where a divorce has taken place and forgiveness was never given. It acted like it. You can talk about it and all that, but come right down to it. In one case, the wife kept bringing up his failure at one point in the marriage, and she finally admitted she's never gotten over his mistake or his weakness or his sin. And uh, I guess he told her, I can only tell you that I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. But if you can't believe me, I, there's nothing I can do. And he's right. 
I'm sure he wasn't a perfect man. I'm sure she wasn't a perfect woman. But, but God does put imperfect people together. There's just a lot of reasons that people give why they just cannot be reconciled. You can forgive, can't you? What if you go out and you marry again? Well, he cheated on, on me and I believe I have a right to go get married because I should not be confined to a state of singleness for the rest of my life and struggle doing the things I'm doing by myself without my husband because he messed up and he's gone and I'm the, uh, I'm the victim in this marriage. He sinned, not me. So I'm free. I'm going to go out and marry again. What if you go out and you marry again? And this husband, like the prodigal son, realizes one day what he's done. How he has broken a covenant with, with his wife. And he turns around. God forgive me. Weeps tears of sorrow. Godly sorrow brought him to his knees. And he goes back to the wife of his youth. He says, I am so sorry. Now, can she forgive him? Think about that. Anyway, what if she says, well, I forgive you of all of that. Then praise God, we can be restored. No, I've already dropped you like a bad habit. I've got somebody else. No, it doesn't work like that. Somebody's got to be faithful. Let me read it again, just in case you're still in here. Verse 11, but if, if she depart... Let her remain, remain, what's that word? It's hard to, uh, that looks like uh, unmarred. What is that word? Unmartyrs? Is, is, is that martyr? Oh, that's unmarried. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. What if he does not want to be reconciled? What does she do? Well, she gives him time to be reconciled, doesn't she? Is she praying? Does God ever hear prayers? How about a godly woman praying, God, I pray that you will bring him to his knees and show him his sin and bring him back that we can continue in this covenant walk we have with each other. Would God honor that? And I wonder why half Christian marriages, it never occurs to them that you can do that. I wonder sometimes why people marry in the first place. Did they marry because of attraction? She had a good body? Woo, wow. That doesn't last long. Was she rich and well-to-do? You'll find love doesn't mix with money well. You can't love both, your wife and money. Was it because she was something or he was something else? You better marry because it's the will of God. But this is the person and the only person in the world you want to live with. And I don't care what he does or she does. I am committed to do my part because it's two part. Two become one. And if one violates it, the other one doesn't have to. And her family will want her to. Her friends will want her to. Honey, it's a shame you're doing that. No, sir. I gave thought to that before I got married. I am going, I'm going to be true and faithful to my husband. Now, tonight, the only people, I think, who will ever be able to live this way and do this and honor God on His terms 
are people who are born again. Well, isn't everybody born again? No, obviously not. Let me go show you the opposite of being born again is a natural man. You still have your Bible? Just brief with me before we go tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. For the natural man receiveth not. Does your Bible say that? Receiveth not what? The things of the Spirit of God. That's what it says. The natural man. Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now let's stop for just a moment. Make this clear. Is the Word of God, God breathed? Is it inspired by His Spirit? Spirit and breath are the same words in both Hebrew and Greek. So it is God breathed. It is inspired by the Spirit of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of the Spirit. So if you read the Scripture, then that's what God says. Now, why would any man depart from that? Let's read the rest of it. This is why people don't follow the Bible. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Well, that's not right. I wouldn't do that. That doesn't make sense. Well, why would you do that? Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Would you agree with me tonight that a natural man cannot get it right? He can have an idea, he can write a book, he can pastor a church, or he can be a teacher in some university. But he can't get it right. He cannot get it right because no man is able to discern anything spiritual unless God gives the man discernment. Peter, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this... He said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ. You know what Jesus said? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The prayer in Ephesians 1 for the church, this body that is to be his holy bride. His, Paul's prayer was that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened that you may know or see what God has for you and be so affected by what He shows you that your life forever changes because you now have knowledge of the Holy. It's the knowledge the same as if you saw it. Because the word know does mean seen, to see. And so a lot of people haven't been there. We just joined church. We got baptized. If that was a part of your church, should be. We participated in the way things go. We sing the song. We get in the rut. We do the routine and the ritual, and it goes on. And, and we just grow up without regard for what's right or wrong. We just seem to make our own decision because, after all, we're made in the image of God. And who's to say what I do is wrong? If I want to cut my baby out of my body and give it away and commit an abortion, who tell me that I can't? You tell me who says that I can't do that. I have a right to and all of that. And that kind of an ugly spirit creeps in the church and in the mindsets and then it gets into the media and people begin to, to immerse themselves in that stuff and they can't tell right from wrong anymore. They lose their discernment. It's just like you become dull of hearing the Word of God. What happens? You no longer can tell what's right or wrong. You get hardened to this. You get soft to that. 
Two men marrying doesn't bother you anymore. This is all wrong. It's all backwards from the way God said. How does it get that way? Because of a natural man. He sees man's ways from man's viewpoint. What's the best thing for man? You can't tell some poor woman who is innocent party, some man who is the innocent party, that they have to be bound to an oath that their husband broke and left or that she broke and left. You don't, no, that's not right. You don't have to do that. And so they begin to listen to that, and then they begin to break the covenant themselves. And then they're as guilty as her husband. And they're both wrong. She marries again. She becomes an adulterer. He already is. And nobody tells them that they are because you'll make them mad if you tell them that. We want the church to be happy and content so they'll keep coming back, put a lot of money in the bucket, and we'll be fancy and good. But oh, to tell the truth, in season and out of season, you become unpopular, you become questioned. And people talk about you and, you know, you be kind of a cultish type thing, you know. You know why? Because you're willing to say the truth, if you're willing to say it. You live in a way that is what other people call foolish. You know, that's just foolish to do all that, but that's what the natural man does. Matthew 16 and verse 34. Here, Jesus is talking to Peter, but he addresses Satan who is inspiring Peter. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Well, verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now he's talking to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. Actually, the word means a stumbling block. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Thou savorest not. You have no desire for the right things, but you turn to man for an interpretation and for help, and he tells you what he thinks would be good and right and proper and noble and okay. And he doesn't savor the things of God, and his way becomes your way. That's what God told his people in Isaiah 55. He says, your ways are not my ways. It's because your thoughts are not my thoughts. You're not thinking right, therefore you're doing wrong. No wonder Romans 12 says we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what the will of God is. Y'all remember that? Well, that's what he said. So you see, you have a wrong heart. You don't want to do what God said. And you've never been born again. What if I told you, all of you here tonight and all of you out there in the electronic world, if you don't want to do what God says, you've never been born again. Whoo! I didn't say you might be struggling with some things and really, oh, come on now. We've all been there. But when you say, I ain't going to do that then you don't have a heart that honors God. Time out. Wasn't there a man that came to Jesus in John chapter 3? What did he say? Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must what? You must be born again. Didn't Jesus say that to him? Nicodemus said, 
I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. Because he just said, you must be born of water and of spirit. How can I be born again when I am old? I mean, how do I go back? How do I go in my mom's room? How many of you know that he had no understanding? And Jesus said, I think in verse 10, he said, you mean you're a teacher or a prince in Israel and you don't understand this? Or was he saying that Old Testament saints were born again? Or does he say in the Old Testament there is the evidence and the word that tells us what the new birth is? You see, I'm not sure. I'm subject to be challenged here and changed here. I'm not sure that anybody in the New Testament sense could have been born again in the Old Testament because the price for their sins had not been paid. They were aware that it was coming. Boy, I could be here for a long time and we'd be going, whoa. I'll leave that for a later time. In close, turn to Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 36. Would you turn to those two places and then we will commence and try to close. Ezekiel 11, verse 19 and 20. Because I'll repeat this again next week, I'm sure. Ezekiel 11, verse 19 and 20. And I will give them... He's talking about when he brings his people back to himself. This is why their lives will be changed to obey. He says, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Where will they get it? From God. And he said, I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. What did Jesus say was the reason that Moses gave the writing of divorcement? The hardness of their hearts. And God says here, I will take a stony heart out of you. You won't say that anymore. Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. How can we be His people, He be our God, and how will we be enabled to walk in all of His statutes? How? Because God will give us a new heart and a new spirit. Is that what your Bible said? And when you do that, you begin to walk right. Look in Ezekiel 36 and verse 25. Remember Jesus said you've got to be born of water and spirit? All right, here's verse 20 and 25 in the Old Testament. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. That's the way of saying repentance will be given to you. It will cleanse you from your past sins. Verse 26, and a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit born of water and of spirit. A new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, boy, you better hope you've got this. I will put my spirit within you and cause, C-A-U-S-E, cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them and you shall dwell in the land that I give you, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's what happens when you're born again. Now, I don't know if anybody, very many people are willing to say that, but I think it could be said, and I think it's right. 
If you don't want to do it God's way, you need to be born again. Because when God births you into His kingdom, He puts something in you that draws you to Him to do what He said, and He becomes your God and you become His people. It's the people who don't want to do that. I don't think. I'm not talking about bad, ugly people, no mean. I'm talking about people that have just never given up the rights to their will to God. Because when you do it in the context of what we're talking about, marriage and everything else, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Remember that? I surrender all. Your husband's bad. I'm going to love him anyway. I'm committed to loving him. I love God more than I love him. I'm going to love him because I love God. She's going to be everything she's supposed to be. You can leave her if you want to, but she's going to keep God in her, in her focus. Close your Bible. God is good.